Welcome back to the Four Podmen, your daily dose of everything pro wrestling that we bring you as part of the Dynamo Podcast Network. Head over to YouTube, smash that subscribe and bell notification button. Audio versions of the show are available through Podbean, Spotify, iTunes, all those good areas for your audio version show. And if you'd like to contact the show, you'll get us on Facebook, The Four Podmen, or on Twitter, at TPodmen. Joining me tonight, a very special guest for a very special episode, the one, the only, Mr. Tom Fleming. Tom, how are you doing, my man? I'm doing great, man. I am really, uh, really appreciate you having me. So, yeah, looking forward to chatting. Yeah, no, really appreciate you taking the time to come on. This is going to be a real throwback for me because um, I remember so fondly those characters and all that great artwork from that time period. Um, I suppose, where do we begin? Let's begin. Talk to me about art, how you got into art and the whole process of where the love started. Uh, well, you know, I mean, basically it started <clears throat> when I was, uh, you know, real young, you know, maybe like nine years old or so. Um, I used to pretty much aspire to being as good as my brother. My brother used to uh, draw and I would try to copy and, and be, and, you know, draw as well as him. And uh, as time went on, I stuck with it. It became my passion and he went on to become a, uh, a computer guy and, uh, you know, stopped, stopped doing the art, um, early on, but, um, it just became one of those things where I always loved comic books and, uh, the superhero stuff and fantasy art. And then, um, I was fortunate enough to have parents that supported it and sent me to, uh, art school for it. And then, uh, you know, went on from there. Awesome. So I suppose 1991 rolls around, um, and you head off to an interview, um, and I believe you weren't aware at the time it was WWF. Talk, talk to me about those those days and that build up. Yeah, um, so <clears throat> so it was uh, during those days. It was it was like at the point where I was uh, just you know I graduated from college. Um, basically, uh, you know, took a couple of years to, to kind of hang out with my friends and, uh, start sh showing my portfolio around and, you know, trying to, you know, get freelance work and, uh, moved out to Long Island, New York and answered an ad in the New York times. And they, it was a generic ad. They did not say that it was the, uh, WWF at the time. And, um, I thought it was an advertising agency or something. They were just looking for an illustrator. And I threw six snapshots of my artwork, my fantasy artwork into an envelope, sent it off. And, uh, I guess about maybe a week later or so, I got a phone call to come in for an interview. Um, and then it went, you know, and then, you know, they still didn't say who they were. Uh, I drove to Stanford, Connecticut from New York and walked in. They buzzed me in and started walking through the hallways and saw a whole lot of WWF memorabilia, you know, posters and things like that. <clears throat> and I was under the impression it was just the advertising agency that was uh, doing the promotions um, and media for the WWF. And then Tom Platts, the professional bodybuilder, walked by me and I recognized him and realized that uh, hmm, this is this is unusual, got into the uh, interview and, you know, within a couple of minutes of the interview, they told me that this is the, the World Wrestling Federation. This is their temporary building that they're renting until Titan Towers was being finished. 
right down the street and they would be moving into uh, the new building soon. Awesome. I, um, I know Tom Platts well because I'm, I'm also a bodybuilding fan myself and I have survived one of Tom Platts' seminars, believe it or not. Um, no way. Yeah, and still live to walk through them. <laughs> yeah, just, right. Wow. Just, just about. Um, safe to say this was a great time to go in there because, I mean, this is where all these characters were starting to spawn. Larger than life guys, colorful, all this kind of thing. Plus, they were embarking on the WBF at the time. Um, because I remember the footage at that time. I remember the, the gym with all the neon strips around it, all that. I thought it was so cool. And at the time, I was a huge fan of Gary Stridham. I was a huge fan of Eddie Robinson and all those guys at the time. And um, I remember thinking about the concept, um, and I was thinking this could be kind of cool and what bodybuilding needs. And then it kind of like <laughs> it sort of yeah. started out really cool, and then kind of petered away. Um, so you you go in there. It's WWF. Um, and you embark on this. So this must have been a great time for you with your creative juices and flair and stuff like that. You're going in there. What was the what was the kind of process like? Talk to me about you know some of the guys you worked with in there and some of the characters you developed and, and walk us through kind of a process. Okay, well, <clears throat> let's see. Well, you know, I when I first got the job, I was under the impression that I was going in there to do strictly illustration. And um, actually, you mentioned that uh, that you were a fan of Gary Stridham. Uh, I don't know if you remember back what, uh, during the WBF, uh, one of the first projects that I did was actually a WBF, uh, the Gary Stridham T-shirt. And it was a uh, it was kind of like the, uh, the the shape of the the medal that they had of the WBF medal with Gary Stridham doing a. Uh, you know, a lat spread and it was all stipple. Yeah. So that was, that was a fun one to do, but, um, you know, I was under the impression that I was going to be doing illustration and that is what they started me with. The first, uh, first project was a trial and they had me do the painted the background for the Legion of Dooms, uh, merchandise poster. And that it was uh, a lot of people remember it, uh, them standing in the alleyway, and they needed a very realistic alleyway painted so that they could superimpose the uh, photograph of the Legion of Doom on top of the uh, alleyway painting. So they, they did that. That went really well. And then they decided to give me a uh, two to three day trial in-house. And they said, if that goes well, then we'll, we'll you know, go from there. And two to three days turned into two to three weeks two to three weeks turned into two to three years. And then the, you know, that turned into uh, pretty much almost a decade of, of working for them on, you know, on and off towards the end of the decade. Awesome. And in terms of before you went in, were you a pro wrestling fan? Were you aware of these guys or would you have known them? No, that's funny. Um, when I, 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 you know, I tell a lot of people, when I started there, I didn't even know who the ultimate warrior was. It, okay. I, I, I knew the household names. I knew Andre the Giant. I knew Hulk Hogan. I knew uh, J- Superfly Snuka. Um, you know, the real, the, the guys that, you know, were, you know, just every, that the general public knew. But Those, the household names. The household names. Yeah. Yep. And, that, and that's it. I knew nothing else. Yeah. 
Yeah. It's, a, it's an interesting idea because I'm thinking I'd be a big legion of doom Road Warriors fan, of course, because I grew up with Jim Cracker promotions down in the Carolinas and stuff like that back in the day, the territory system and all. Oh, um, nice, yeah. But it, it, it's interesting. I'm thinking here you are starting on the job and the first the, the first illustration you have to do is an alleyway saying for the legion of doom, the Road Warriors, and I'm thinking happy days, we're off and running. It's, it's just a low-level stuff at all, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, that's that's it's incredible, isn't it, when you think about it. Um, talk to me about sort of like you know Adam Baum and One Two Three Kid and all those other guys you've worked with. These are guys who shaped. I wouldn't say my childhood because like I was a I've always been a big kid if you like so I loved pro wrestling forever and a day so, um, I won't say these were my childhood guys but I still loved them as if I was a big kid. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. Um. <clears throat> so, uh, the day came where I was doing uh I was doing illustration you know, when I started as was expected. And I did the, uh, the illustration for the undertaker's first t-shirt. That was the, uh, the, you know, the black t-shirt with the circle and, um, it was a pen and ink drawing. I did that. I was doing other, other illustration jobs and my boss came to me and, uh, and started talking about costume designs. And I was, just, you know, I was kind of like, geez, you know, I've never designed costumes, you know, in my life. But I think that she saw a lot of potential because of my comic book background, my portfolio and my the fantasy art that I had. So um, <clears throat> she uh, she gave me a shot at some of the designs. And, you know, like I said, in a lot of other interviews, I don't remember exactly the first one, but I believe I'm pretty sure it was either Tatanka or Crush, and um, and I'm pretty I'm pretty confident it was Tatanka because I did not design I didn't work on it alone. I know that other people were involved with that costume, and I designed the um, the spandex and the uh, Native American symbols and things like that, and his um, his uh, buckskin cape that he had which looked very different in my drawing than it came out. But as it turns out, you know, people seem to really, uh, really love the Tatanka character. Um, and basically the process was we would, <clears throat> my boss usually did a drawing of the figure and it was just a, a, a anatomical figure with no detail. And then we would make Xerox copies on the copier and I would have, you know, a stack of maybe, uh, you know, a half a dozen to a dozen uh, Xerox copies. And then I would start going in and drawing details of the costumes on these Xerox copies and then coloring them with design markers. And then when, once there was a design that, you know, was <clears throat> that felt right, we would uh, mount them to black mat board and present them to Vince. And there was usually maybe uh, four, you know, three or four designers that would work on costumes. We would go up, we'd present them to Vince. He would pick which ones that, uh, which, whatever costume that he thought was uh, going to be most effective. And, um, and we would go from there. If your costume was picked, uh, you know, you were the, uh, you know, you had a good day and, uh, and you go from there. And as the costumes and the designs went on, throughout the, uh, the months and the years that I worked there, it turns out that Vince was consistently picking my bosses and my costume designs. And um, I had a buddy 
Jay Jarsdorfer, who, who also worked there. And once he left, uh, me and my boss, Adriana, became pretty much the, uh, the main costume designers. Um, so, yeah, that's that's the basic process. And, and in terms of the starting out, how much information would they give you to, to work with, if you like, in terms of the character or where they wanted the character to go in terms of how you would put that stuff together? It varied. Um, <clears throat> there was times where they came to me and they said, we have a, a specific theme. Uh, for example, Razor Ramon. They, they knew exactly what they wanted. Uh, they, and I, I, I'm pretty sure that um, they had the name also. I think they knew when they approached me, they said, we have a character named Razor Ramon. He's a Scarface kind of, you know, character, the Al Pacino character. And, um, you know, we want him a bit more, you know, of course, wrestling, flashy, um, a little bit more gimmicky. But um, they, you know, we knew that that was the theme that they were going with. So we just had to come up with a look. Um, Tito Santana, um, from what I heard, is the one who came up with the name Razor Ramon. And then, uh, and then I, I designed the, uh, the actual costume and the logo. Um, but uh, there was other times where they just gave us a snapshot of their face or, you know, a picture of them and said, this is who they were when they were at the WCW or whatever other league, they're coming over to the WWF and uh, come up with different concepts, themes. And so that was the process that I went through with Adam Baum. I, cr I came up with the actual, you know, there was about four or five different concepts that I did uh, lay out for the Adam Baum character. And, um, Usually the one I did first, what that was my instinct was the one that usually got chosen. Uh, and with Adam Baum, I did the nuclear theme with the goggles. And I really, it was a chance for me to really kind of do my comic book thing. And so I did that. And then as kind of alternatives, because we were required to actually come up with more than one concept, even if we absolutely loved the concept, the first one we came up with. So I was like, all right, so, you know, I, I'm really confident in this concept, but I did a uh, medieval knight theme. I did a uh, mercenary. I did a, um, like a biker kind of, you know, leather clad kind of Harley Davidson biker look. And, um, and some of them actually had the goggles included also, you know, the biker had the, had the actual goggles, only he was leather and, and that kind of thing. So, <clears throat> so that was, uh, that was a real fun one uh, where I could come up with my own themes. Uh, you know, someone like Papa Shango, uh, they, they knew exactly what they wanted with that. They did not give me a picture of him at all. They said, we want a Haitian voodoo character and uh, watch the movie uh, Serpent in the Rainbow and get an idea. That's, that's pretty much what we're looking for. And so I did, went home for the weekend watched the movie and uh, just started doing layouts for the uh, Papa Shango uh, concept. And in terms of time frame, because I mean, we know Vince is a, is a tough boss. I mean, he's, he's first one in and last one to leave and all that type of stuff. But in terms of a time frame, what sort of time frame would they give you, say, to deliver, say, a Papa Shango or an Adam Bob from, from when it's handed to you? 
Uh, there's, um, <clears throat> there's, you know, I, I don't, you know, I, somewhere in my studio buried is my actual, I think I still have my timesheets from when I would check in and stuff. And I could tell you, you know, exactly how, what, what, you know, how many days or how many hours I worked on things. Um, I haven't been able to really find that stack of papers. Uh, I hope I still have them, but typically, I mean, sometimes it was, uh, I got in it you know, eight thirty, nine o'clock in the morning. And, you know, they said we need, the, we need designs by the end of the day. Um, yeah. Sometimes, sometimes it was, you know, it was crazy like that. Sometimes we had a couple of days, but usually it was um, usually the costume designs happened pretty quickly. Okay. And, yeah. and in terms of, because you being such a creative person as well, how how did you adjust to that kind of time frame pressure in terms of you arriving at eight thirty and someone turns around and goes, here's a here's a face we need a Papa Shango by the end of the day and here's the concept kind of thing you know what I mean? How did you adjust that when you're thinking because you want to absolutely knock this out of the park? Exactly right, exactly. That's the thing. It's like you know, and I was only like 25, 26 years old at the time. This was my this was my first real job out of college, um, and you know, I, <clears throat> I, you know, I felt so, a little bit of the pressure because it was my job, but it was kind of strange not being not being a, a, a wrestling fan at the time. I felt less pressure. Then when I went on to work for Marvel Comics and where I was a, you know, a monster comic book fan. And then when I started getting covers for Marvel, it's like, you know, I felt the real pressure. But there it was kind of like um, it was just uh, it was it was just my job. And I, you know, I was pretty confident. Maybe I was too naive to put the you know real pressure on myself. But it was one of those things where I was like, okay, I got to come up with, uh, you know, create a, you know, a, a voodoo, uh, you know, witch doctor. And I would just start drawing. And, um, you know, it, at the end of the day, when, you know, it was kind of like when I br brought the drawings to my art director, uh, if she, you know, there was times where she was like, oh, my God, these are fantastic. Um, there was times where she said, well, I like it, but change this or something like that. And, um you know, at the end of the day, when the thing gets approved and you, you know, you get a sign off on your uh, timesheet, um, you know, it was uh, it was a good day. Tell me this. I'm sure, like, as you said, you're in the trenches producing this stuff, obviously, for Vince. But at any point, were you able to pinch yourself and look back and, and, and say, I'm actually shaping the landscape and the history of this business? OK, that's a great question. Um, that just happened a few months ago, okay. 30 years, 30 years later, I had no idea what I did. Um, and it's, it's really interesting what's been happening with all of this wrestling, uh, you know, with my rest, you know, my wrestling history. Um, back in the day, I worked there, I did my job, I created, you know, I did these characters, a lot of the characters that I created because I never, the internet was so young and there was no social media and there was no way to get feedback directly from the public. I had no idea the, um, the impact that uh, my designs and artwork made. So when I stopped working for the uh, WWE in the last, I believe the last job that I did was in 2002, 
And that was, um, they rehired me. They called me back years later and they asked me to do the um, uh, design a cane costume. Uh, I did team angles, sweatsuits and awesome. singlets. Awesome. And, and then I did um, of Mr. America, Hulk Hogan, when he, uh, when, you know, when he was the mystery, uh, you know, I, I know it's a spoiler, but yes, it was Hulk Hogan. Um, <laughs> yeah. So they rehired me to do that stuff. And, um, and then after I did that, literally 25, 30 years went by and this, all this stuff just sat in my flat files and I, Pretty, you know, I mean, somebody started a Wikipedia page on me and included a lot of the wrestling stuff because that's what made me notable. Yeah. Uh, but until the until COVID hit, I needed to all the all the comic conventions shut down, and I needed a way to compensate for the income loss during COVID. Yeah. So I came up with the idea to start, um, you know, reaching out to all the genres that I did artwork for. And some of them were in the movie and TV uh, work that I did. Some of them were the gaming. Some of them were Marvel comics. And then I found um, a Facebook page called old school wrestling. And when I post started posting some of the things on there, the response, it was, it was incredible. They start, they were going ape shit. And I was I, I had no idea the can of worms that I was opening and the wonderful messages from all over the world. And that, you know, the many to the sentiment of, you know, oh my God, you were such a huge part of my childhood. We had no idea that you created these characters. And, and I, you know, my Survivor Series paintings and the Royal Rumble painting. And I was act, kind of flabbergasted um, of the reception. And then I started posting in multiple groups and then I went on to Reddit and some of the, and it has become this, you know, snowball effect. And, you know, like it's been so, um, uh, welcoming and, you know, like podcasts like yours, um, you know, uh, interested in, in seeing behind the scenes and things like that. Um, it's just been, it's, it's just been crazy. And it's just one of the most heartwarming and wonderful feelings to have no idea that that's the, what you did that I did when I was a kid um, so many years ago. Yeah, you see, because it's, it's in terms of the importance of it for us as fans, if you like, I look at this, all these guys were unbelievable athletes. There's no doubt about it at a certain level. But it's, yeah. it's the little trinkets and the design and the, the, the graphics and the, the wear that you guys painted onto these guys to make them characters. So it's, it, it's, it's humbling to listen how humble you are in terms of the way you're saying, I just designed the tracksuits for Team Angle. Like, like it's, <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm there thinking, you know, they had to be velvet or velour in order to pull it off. And they were amazing. And it was such an important part of Team Angle because they were three fantastic athletes. But to come out of those tracksuits made it Team Angle. And how important were those tracksuits when they did the switcheroo with Angle's brother in the corner that time and everything about? So it's, yeah. it's, it's, you should take way more credit for what you did personally, trust me. Uh, because I, I, I was looking down through some of the stuff today and I'm blown away by it, like absolutely blown away, you know? Uh, 
it's incredible because even I mean we get on to talk now about some of the poster work and the, the VHS covers and stuff like that you know and, and those VHS covers that you did if you compare them to like DVDs today or back a few years and stuff like that where they kind of went down the cheap route of just putting photographs on they slapped them on like photos yeah you know it was real sort of like no effort at all whereas when you think about the artwork you were turned out for the Survivor Series and stuff like that I imagine being a 10 year old kid walking through a video store and you're trying to pick out, well, am I going to watch Ghostbusters this week or Back to the Future? What am I going to rent out? And suddenly I'm hit with this Survivor Series VHS cover. That's the coolest thing in the world. <laughs> you're, you're, you're grabbing onto your dad and you go, no, I want to rent this one out tonight and stuff like that. You could potentially be responsible for people becoming wrestling fans walking through those video stores back in the day. Oh, man. That's that's the magnitude of it, like, you know, and it's 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 incredible. Yeah, it's it's one of those things where, um, you know, it's it's so wonderful to hear and it never gets old as much as, you know, um, that the appreciation of the artwork and the designs and things. But when it comes down to it is that I'm, you know, I'm still I'm not running into burning buildings and saving children and, uh, you know, women and children and stuff. And it's like when it comes down to it, I kind of it's you got to stay grounded and realize and um, being humble is, uh, is a really important um, is a really important thing to me. Um, so I see a lot of people, a lot of other artists at comic conventions that get real full of themselves and, um, and to be proud of what you've done is one thing that's, you really need to be proud of, of your work and, and your accomplishments. But there's also a very important thing to uh, to realize that in the big scheme of things, it's like, OK, you know, I'm, I am so happy that, you know, people are appreciating it. But OK, I am I am just an artist and um, there's people out there like literally saving lives. And uh, so those are, you know, those are the people that I reserve for the, you know, the, the real heroes. But, but if you look at it from this point of view, you could have kids out there who, if they had never found wrestling potentially in those video stores, but mm. your electric artwork that was there, they could be out on the streets getting into trouble and not sitting at home enjoying wrestling and following it, you know? So the, I, I wouldn't underestimate that at all. I mean, uh. I, look, I, I'm speaking from a personal opinion here. It had a huge effect on me. I was drawn to wrestling right from the get-go i'm 49 years of age now and i still haven't given up i'm still that big child that watched hulk hogan slam andre and all that kind of good stuff. yeah in, in terms of how did it feel when you've seen the designs alive on telly in the characters so okay that <laughs> that that's interesting because there was um there was some that translated from paper to real life very well and then there was others where I, you know, when we finished the designs and Vince approved them, they would get sent off to the seamstresses uh, in Chicago. The seamstresses would make the costume and we would not see anything for the most part until they debuted. Um, sometimes we had to be present at the debut at the actual TV tapings. And sometimes, um, you know, I would see it on TV for the first time. So um, most of the time I had to appear and make sure that, that, you know, especially if there was props like Papa Shango's cape, rain stick, smoking skull. When there was things like that, we were responsible for to make sure that everything went smoothly. 
Um, so uh, it was there when I, I'll, so I'll give you some examples. Um, the, probably the costume that was the closest to translation from paper to life was Adam Baum. Uh, it was because, and you know, I didn't know what Brian Clark really looked like. I had a snapshot of his face, but I didn't know how, what he was built like. And, um, and then, you know, I designed the costume and he almost looks exactly like the drawing, you know, he, you know, he, he looked like, he looked like a comic book character. So, um, it was like, oh, and the costumes, the seamstresses nailed the costume. I mean, they made the singlet and there was times where I wasn't even sure when I was doing the drawing, how it would be actually created with sewing and, you know, and, but they, they were pretty amazing actually how well they took a drawing and translated it to uh, real life. Um, so Adam Baum, Papa Shango, uh, those were two of my favorites. Razor Ramon was a little bit easier because, um, you know, he, it was trunks with, with a vest and it was a simp more simplistic costume. And, um, you know, he saw that he originally had long spandex pants and uh, he saw me in the gym and uh, thanked me for designing the costume. He loved it. But he said, brother, he goes, I've been working way too hard on my legs, man. He goes, he goes, we got to turn those those pants into trunks. And, you know, and so and then, you know, everybody knows, you know, the rest. Um, but then there was other characters that when they came out, I was just like, oh, God, you know, this is not what I had in mind. One of which was Giant Gonzalez with the uh, with the spray on muscles, and that was not in the design. And uh, the big pieces of carpet that were looked like they were glued to his shoulders, not what I had in mind. But it was, you know, it was par for the course. That's, you know, of course, that was a that gimmick was a bit out there, and um, and that was, you know, with you know, <laughs> with the challenges that that you know that that was there for that costume it um it's certainly uh you know maybe for a little kid it was uh it was something interesting but the adults i know it was kind of like a uh it was like oh my god what are we watching here you know that those airbrushed muscles were just some of the silliest you know um and then there was max moon and then there you know max moon was another one that I thought that was a combination of my boss's designs and my designs. And we combined them. I didn't have as much neon colors in mine. Mine were more kind of that turquoise with black and silver. And um, there was some gold and um, a little bit of neons here and there because they asked me to put that in. But she did a full neon kind of costume and we combined elements of the two. Um, but that one there, we had to call in special effects guys from LA to create his wrist, um, you know, the confetti shooting out of one hand and the fire shooting out of the other. And he had fire extinguisher, uh, tanks in his backpack that to make him look like he was blasting off. And, you know, that's when the gimmick started really getting crazy. Um, so yeah, it was, you know, there, it was just like anything you, you know, some, sometimes it went real well. And sometimes you just had those days where you're just like, Oh God, you know, wish Sorry. they would have done something different. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'm going to roll you back about 30 years. You're, you're, you're standing backstage. Of course, Brian Clark is there. 
he's in all the Adam Bomb gear, about to go out and debut. How are the nerves? How are you feeling at that point? The nervousness of, is the crowd going to receive this? Are they going to understand the message? Because your work is so pivotal to the success of this. As I said to you yeah. already, these guys are all brilliant athletes. They're all jacked. They're all huge. They look amazing. But they live and die by the gimmick. <laughs> when yeah. chat over there. And how invested they can get into it as well. So how is how is Tom Fleming 30 years ago backstage Adam Bomb about to walk through the curtain? How are the nerves? Well, yeah. So the nerves, um, without a doubt, there was nerves because it was, you know, especially Adam Bomb, since it was my concept. Not only was it my concept, but, you know, one of the examples that you said was how the crowd was going to receive the, the, the gimmick. Actually, that never entered my mind because I was so preoccupied with the fact that, oh, my God, I hope his um, accessories hold together. And, you know, he I was I actually made his goggles and I made his gloves for his debut. They um, they came to me after the after the uh, design was approved and they said well now you're you're responsible you got to come up with his goggles and you have to um make his gloves for him and i was like make his gloves i don't even know what that means you know like so i um i went out to an electric electrician shop and i found like you know a set of uh, electrician welding goggles and i you know hand painted them to uh you know the colors that match the uh, costume and the the challenge was that welding goggles are just glass so that the welder can see and work and that didn't work well with a um with a superhero so i had to come up with an idea of how can i block his eyes and still have him see out of it so i came up with the idea of i went up to the um merchandise office upstairs at the w at titan towers and i got i asked them for uh, i signed out a pair of bret hart's novelty glasses and the ones that you order from the uh, centerfold of the magazine you know for like probably seven bucks or something and i took a pair of bret hart's novelty glasses and i just sliced the mylar plastic out with the um circles of the uh, lenses and just inserted them into the into Adam Bomb's goggles, and it created a perfect um, sunglass kind of effect from him, where he could see out, and it was totally reflective and um, had had the exact effect that I needed. So, um, you know, created the goggles like that, and then the gloves. I got a pair of uh, electricians black insulated gloves and then a pair of yellow gloves. And I sliced those V's out of the yellow gloves and then had to um, grommet them together with, you know, and the thing is you got to make sure that it, I didn't know whether he was going to wrestle with the gloves on or whether he would take them off and then wrestle without them. So they had to withstand and be durable All everything we came up with. We didn't know whether they were going to wrestle with it or take it off for the most part unless it was something crazy like Max Moon's backpack, you know, we yeah. knew that was coming off. Um, so everything had to be uh, aesthetic and durable and, um, and withstand some, you know, because there was times where these guys would start their um, entrance and then they'd get attacked by another wrestler down the aisle or something without the actual formal, you know, taking off of the, you know, the costume and stuff and then wrestling. So the nervousness was getting that costume perfect 
so that he can go out and everything, you know, my eyes were on like, okay, I'm watching the gloves. I'm watching him put the, the goggles on, make sure that elastic doesn't snap. Um, you know, all this other stuff. And, um, it, you know, it's, you're nervous about succeeding at your job. And then if the fans love it, that's a bigger bonus. So that was something that was, um, regardless of whether the fans took to it or not, my boss and my uh, Vince and the art directors were my focus of like, if I make them happy, then it's just a bonus if the fans love it. And really it's kind of the opposite because they loved it if the fans loved it, you know? Yeah, absolutely. At each stage of the process, how involved would the, the wrestler be in terms of like, I'm thinking here you have Brian Clark, absolute monster of a man. You know, the storyline is Three Mile Island, nuclear reactor meltdown, and out of this reactor meltdown comes out this larger than life kind of superhero, nuclear man, if you like. Yep. Is there points that you go along there where you're sense checking and you're looking at what's evolving in this sort of the whole gimmick and the setup of the props and all that kind of stuff? And you're looking at it going, yes, I believe that this guy came from a nuclear reactor meltdown and this is what he would look like. I'm thinking in terms of, as you said, with the goggles, the gloves, the contact lenses, the red tongue, all this kind of stuff. Does it all have to shape together? And where does the sense check and start where you go? Okay, maybe I've gone too far here and it's quite not believable now. Where where's the cutoff point where you stop? Yeah, there's um <clears throat> yes, there's certainly uh you know that um anxiety of um wow, you know, like is is the there was many, many times where I thought the gimmick went way too far. And as a matter of fact, that's another thing that I've come to realize within the last few months that some of the gimmicks that I thought went too far and I was actually embarrassed about were some of the characters that the fans absolutely loved and adored. So, um, you know, pretty much, you know, be, coming from being a comic book fan, it was hard for me to think that something was going too far because I take almost everything too far in my life. You know, um, you know, you know, you know, you don't you have no idea how many times my wife has said to me, don't you think you're overdoing it? You know, like with with pretty much everything. So, you know, I, I don't really have that much of a filter as far as overdoing it and what the fans are going to think until I get that feedback. Um, but uh, there was there was some things that I drew that I had a sense that they would not translate that, that they would be very difficult to translate to real life. Um, once again, giant Gonzalez was, uh, was a big one where I, I had a sense. I was like, okay, this guy's seven foot seven. Um, he's a, he's a, you know, he's a, but you know, the costume I did was like, okay, is he going to really come across as this Yeti like character I was envisioning like more of like real natural kind of hair and kind of like a cross between um, almost like a, a Yeti and um, uh, kind of a, um, a hobo kind of like, you know, um, a man creature. So that I, I had a sense that that was going to be a tough one. Um, but then there's others where, you know, you know, team angle sweatsuits. It's like, you know, be, you know, that's a lot of it is just the seamstresses. Um, you know, they they were 
amazingly professional and, and excellent at what they did. And I had full confidence that, you know, geez, they're going to take my designs. And a lot of the times, you know, a lot of times there were, um, they made it actually better than what I even envisioned. So, um, there, you know, beside, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of, uh, neurosis as far as, um, have I gone too far because it was the age of gimmicks. Uh, that was the whole thing was big, make him as big and colorful and, uh, you know, and, um, and comic book like as possible. And I think that's why they might've hired me to begin with. Um, in, in terms of, of course, we, we move ahead nearly 20 years then, and we're seeing a number of these characters getting inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame. And, and like your work back then is so pivotal in the, in the success or the failure potentially of these guys. So you see a guy like Razor Ramon or Sean Waltman, one, two, three kid and stuff like that, getting inducted into the Hall of Fame. Obviously Kane, um, Kurt Angle, you know, and your designs and your ideas are so pivotal to their careers. What sort of a good feeling do you feel there in terms of seeing these guys getting inducted into the Hall of Fame? And again, I think being so humble, you probably don't realize the magnitude of the effect of you in them arriving at that stage with that career. No, I don't. I don't. I don't really quite. Uh, I guess I, it hasn't really sunk in exactly um, uh, what the magnitude of, you know, my work was. But, you know, mentioning the Hall of Fame, it's really interesting. Um, the only one <clears throat> that I was aware of that, that was inducted into Hall of Fame was Scott was uh, Razor Ramon. And I remember hearing that he was inducted and, and actually being super proud of that. Um, that was like, you know, Razor, the costume was even through my lull of being away from the, uh, you know, the business. Um, I would still walk through the toy stores, the toy departments at, you know, wherever it was, you know, um, uh, Toys R Us when it was around and Walmart and stuff. And I would see Razor Ramon, Defining Moments action figure. And, you know, Papa Shango was, they had a bunch of different, um, you know, reprints of the uh, Papa Shango figures. And um, the being, I, when hearing uh, that Razor Ramon got in, not Scott Hall, but Razor Ramon, that was a that was a really proud moment, um, and uh, and yeah, that that you know was um, a really cool uh, bit of news to hear. I I didn't know. Did the one two three kid uh, was he inducted into the Hall of Fame? He he's gone in in a number of different. I think he has a number of rings at this stage. He's gone in in a number of his uh, personas, if you like. Wow. Okay. Didn't know that. Um, Kane, of course, you know, um, you know, I was aware of, um, and you mentioned one more that, oh, Kurt. Kurt Angle. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So yeah, I, you know, I really didn't realize that there was that many that I worked on that were in the hall of fame. And to be honest, um, that brings me to a little story that I really like to share uh, about the Hall of Fame and um, and my days at the WWF. Um, while there, I mentioned my buddy Jay Jarshofer, who I worked with side by side. He was about 15 years older than me. So he was, you know, I was about 25, 26, and he was about 40. 
And um, he was kind of starting a new career there. Um, and we both were like, I was starting a career, he was starting a new career and we hit it off and became, we, I mean, he was one of the joys of going into work. We were just, we would just laugh and create these characters. And he did a lot of logo design and, and did a lot of costume design also. And we became lifelong friends. And after we left the WWF, WWE, um, we stayed in touch and we would laugh about the days at the WWF on the phone. And one of the things that he said was like, man, can you imagine if me and you, you know, if we were ever recognized for our work and uh, got inducted into the Hall of Fame, you know, the craziest thing about that whole thing would be me and you wearing, wearing a suit and going up there in suits. And we would laugh about it. And it was just pretty much just um, a little, a goof. And in 2015, Jay was diagnosed with leukemia and passed away. And, um, and it was, you know, it is what it is. Um, you know, I was really, really bummed out about it. But then now during COVID with all of this, um, with, with all of this coming out, of the magnitude of what we did, I started thinking like, my God, um, is this a possibility? You know, is, is getting Jay into the Hall of Fame or getting me and Jay as a team into the Hall of Fame possible? And I was like, my God, if I can, you know, his dying wish, if I can grant his dying wish someday um, and actually um, make that happen, that would be um, a, a life accomplishment for you know him and his for his family and for his um, wife Gina. So I started mentioning it, and uh, one of the podcasts that I was unaware of mentioned the Warrior Award and um, the Warrior before he passed away in his acceptance speech uh, in the Hall of Fame mentioned uh, the uh, recognizing the behind the scenes people and. Uh, I, you know, it, I, I can't even imagine, but how fantastic that would be if, you know, if the, the word got out to the right people and, um, and, you know, made that possible. So I always like to add that. Yeah, it's, it's not even a stretch. This is something that has to happen because they have a celebrity wing in the Hall of Fame for anyone and everyone who maybe sat ringside and rang a bell or something for a main event, stuff like that, which to me, is so minute in comparison to the impact and the effect that you guys had on the business. It, it's an absolute no-brainer. It's, it's, it's a matter to me, it's shocking that it hasn't already happened because wow, it, it's just, it. I, I can't explain to you the impact that it's had. Like you talk about when you see the figures and stuff like that, I'm thinking of a Tom Fleming pushing the trolley down an aisle in Walmart in the figure aisle and some kid <laughs> running up to a double pack and going, look, mum, they have team angle. You know what I mean? <laughs> and like you're sitting in the background smiling going, they sure do, kid. You know what I mean? They sure do. And I'm just thinking when, when you put all that together and the impact and the, the magnitude of that work that you did along with Jay in terms of this stuff to make this stuff happen and become what it was, it's a no-brainer. It's an absolute no-brainer. It shouldn't even be a decision that has to happen without a shadow of a doubt. Wow. Um, I guess it would be a matter of, you know, getting the proposal to the right people. 
Um, you know, and, you know, I guess right now, <clears throat> I, I really, I'm not sure what the process would be of um, even submitting something like that or, the, you know, or somebody watching, you know, these podcasts and actually, you know, saying, wow, you know, it's, uh, you know, we do have a, a, a real candidate here. Well, well, an idea to open that door for me would be if you've noticed recently, they've started doing a show called Hidden Treasures. I don't know if you've watched any of it. Yeah, I haven't watched it, but I know Triple H and Stephanie. Yeah. Yeah. So their, their plan is basically they're sending the likes of Ric Flair and Mick Foley and all these legends around to try and refind their original ring gear. Ah. And the plan is to bring that stuff all back to WWE. And I assume they're going to create a bricks and mortar Hall of Fame. Oh, man. And now I know from looking at other podcasts that you have some fantastic original artwork there and obviously notes on your work and all that kind of stuff. That stuff should sit in a WWE Hall of Fame museum, building, whatever you want to call it. And what I would be doing if I was you, I would be reaching out to WWE to say that you have some of this stuff that is an absolute history of the business in terms of character development and all that, and that it would be long. Maybe they would do a show with you in the next season of Hidden Treasures huh. in terms of that artwork. And, you know, God knows where that might lead for you and obviously Jay's memory and stuff like that in terms of the impact you had in the business. And I think that might be the opportunity. Contact them, say, look, I've got all this stuff here. It belongs. It, it's it's your legacy, really. It's not not so much WWF. They obviously have a legacy of the characters and the work and the catalog and all that. But there's a legacy there as well in that business that involves yourself and Jay and the team that you worked with at that time and stuff like that. And that certainly belongs in a section of a Hall of Fame. Wow. I, you know. Okay. So I was aware of the uh, hidden treasures. I never even thought that this is the, um, the, the, the reason they're doing it is to create a brick and mortar um, building, actual Hall of Fame. Yeah. And wow, that would be fantastic because um, a few years ago, I reconnected with, my, with the um, creative director for, that I worked for at the WWF. And, um, and she... Uh, was pushing for a brick and mortar and was, you know, she was saying how wonderful it would be. And we talked about actually maybe um, an art book of the art of the WWF or WWE. And all these ideas sounded great, but it it seemed like it kind of just hit, you know, it hit a dead end and, um, and nothing was going to come of it. But now that you say this, wow, that, you know, that does sound like, what they're what they're planning on doing and how fantastic would that be yeah because they're, they're spending a lot of money on this stuff at the moment um i think on what the last episode of the season finale was rick flair trying to track down his black and white legendary butterfly robe oh i did um, i drew that thing more times than i can count there you go so yeah i just think i think that would be probably the starting point and it would be really good and i think what it does is it cements your legacy and Jay's legacy in the business as well. You know what I mean? Which is vitally important. Yeah. Um, 
And, you know, besides the artwork and stuff, I still have one of Papa Shango's skulls. I have Adam Bomb's goggles. I have a Papa Shango top hat in my studio here. You know, just things that, you know, when I was working on the costumes, they were like kind of leftovers. And, um, you know, they, you know, a lot of the times I would work out of my home studio. And um, the first the first or second ones that I made were were great and they didn't need another one. But I had the uh, I had the uh, skull to do another one if we needed it. And, you know, years went by and it's still sitting here. Yeah, I, I would say I would say that would be a real good start point if you contacted them on that basis because they're literally going around trying to hoover up all the old original stuff as much as they can. And the plan has to be to create a huge Hall of Fame because I know from going to WrestleMania when they do the fan access, a section of the fan access they have there and there's always like, you know, the old Mean Jane Oakland, the Vince McMahon jackets, the old suit jackets with the WWF, the colors and all, yep. the flare robes, the Harley Race stuff, all the old stuff, the King of the Rings, all that kind of stuff. That tends to be the most exciting part of fan access, apart from meeting wrestlers and stuff like that. When you walk through that section that they have and you see like the old microphones, the Howard Finkel stuff, the, the jackets, all that kind of stuff. It's such a throwback and nostalgia and such a beautiful experience for people who are wrestling fans who live through it and are slightly older now. So to have an actual proper Hall of Fame where this stuff resides, apart from going into the Hall of Fame and being inducted, which is a moment in time that's enshrined in history, but to have an actual location where your original yeah. stuff would sit or Jay's stuff, that is truly the legacy of the work that you did in there. You know? Wow. And that, that would be that would be my thinking on it. Because I was thinking today, I was looking at Jonathan's podcast on Pro Wrestling Defined and all. And I was I you had mentioned this to him as well about the Hall of Fame. How would you try and get that ball rolling? Okay, yeah. I I think this is the way to get that ball rolling. Okay, good. That's great information for sure. Um, yeah. I mean, the only thing I've done at this point was um sent a message on the uh, Facebook. You know, they have a Hall of Fame, WWE Hall of Fame Facebook page. And I sent a message and I have no idea who that goes to. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's this is uh, yeah, this is good. Yeah, because you, you um, can you can imagine if they did an episode where they brought in the Godfather, obviously Papa Shango. And yep. they, they got him and they said, right, you're in here now. We'd like you to track down the top hat or the skull or whatever it is. And yep. he goes off to your house and he goes, here's Tom Fleming. They give a whole background to you and stuff like that. And they go, we want this for our Hall of Fame. You know what I mean? And that's how the ball gets rolling and stuff like that. I think it would absolutely be fantastic. And it definitely would be a kickback to you in terms of the effort that you put in and the impact that you had on the business. And I think only then in your mind, personally, I think then it would click with you, the, the massive impact you've had on the business. Yeah, yeah. I, I can wow. imagine I can imagine Tom Fleming walking through a WWE memorabilia Hall of Fame, massive building, an exhibition, and and, and pinching himself and going, that. Yeah, I mean, it's <clears throat> this is uh, it, you know, the funny thing is, is that what we're talking about is uh, what I aspired to in comics as a comic creator, and. It's funny how ironic life is that, you know, I've done I've done fairly well in the comic business and made a career of it. Um, but the status 
that I wanted to achieve is actually there with the WWE, WWF, and I had no idea. So it's it's just very ironic, you know. I think I think the one thing that COVID has taught us on the pandemics and the lockdowns, and especially it's taught WWE as well, is the absolute importance and integral part that the backroom staff there play in terms of the polish of the product and the deliverance of the product and the impact of the product. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and I think that can't be forgotten. And I think they're more um, leaning towards recognizing that work that goes on there as well. Um, because now, because the business opened up, I mean, years ago, we wouldn't have had a clue about any of this as fans. But now, right. because the business, you can see it even on the WWE Network with their documentaries, they're more intrusive now into showing you the bells and the whistles of the whole thing that puts this stuff together. Um, so that kind of stuff, I think, would be vital. And I think if, if that's if that's the kind of direction that you come from, I think you'll knock it out of the park. Huh. Wow. All right. Yeah. Great advice. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the uh, while we while you were talking about the uh, the Hall of Fame and the different like the uh, treasure hunting and stuff. <clears throat> it just <laughs> reminded me of, um, you know, the one of the th one of the props that I created at the WWF. Um, will never appear in a Hall of Fame uh, because it no longer exists. And it was the, um, they came to me and said that they needed me to create the scepter for the first pay-per-view King of the Ring ever. And so that was one of the times where I was very nervous because I knew it was a big pay-per-view event <clears throat> and I had to create a scepter that, you know, it looked, it had to look um, like gold like a golden scepter. And um, I started, you know, using uh, styrofoam balls and then building on it and stuff. And the thing is, every, I would take these styrofoam balls and when I would spray them with spray paint, the metallic spray paint, the styrofoam would just um, completely disintegrate and yeah. shrivel. And I was getting really frustrated. I'm sitting there and I'm like, geez, I don't, and Jay, turns around and he goes, you know what you should do? You should take some Elmer's glue, mix it with a little water and create a, um, a varnish and just coat the whole thing in Elmer's glue. And I said, huh, let me give that a try. I did exactly what he said. I spray painted that thing, man. And it just looked like a golden glowing ball. And then I put the jewels on it and the thing came out great. It came out so good. I was more proud of that scepter than almost anything that I did at the WWF at the time. And I even asked my boss, can I get this back at the end of the show? And um, she said, yeah, I don't see why not. You know, we'll, you know, we'll ask him to send it back and, you know, this and that. And we had office parties at the time, whenever there was a big pay-per-view event and uh, everyone got together in Stanford at, at one of the employees apartments or houses and we would watch the event <clears throat> and um, there, you know, King of the Ring, there it is, first pay-per-view, um, you know, Brett wins, he's holding it over his head and, you know, Lawler comes running down, slides into the ring, grabs it from him, breaks it over his leg, takes the ball, throws it into the crowd and everyone is just laughing their asses off because, you know, and everyone knew that I wanted it back and how proud I was. And, um, yeah. And I just watched, I sat there and just watched, I was, you know, as my dreams were crushed of getting that thing back. So 
I, you know, it's a great story now. And, uh, you know, it's, it's funny now, but man, I was so bummed out at the time. Yeah. That's, it's an incredible story. Like, and, and not only that, the fact that, you know, obviously Jay's legacy that you talk about, I mean, this is one of these things you were having problems trying to put this together. And he said, look, just try this boom and it worked so the collaboration between the two and that kind of bond of friendship like and and, and the scepter is so vital to that story you yeah know what I mean? and like these yes. are the stories like i've i've visions of like a, a bricks and mortar hall of fame where the smash scepter is on a piece on the wall and yeah a, yeah and there's a little video underneath with you telling the story <laughs> right yeah that would be you know yeah I mean? that and, and this is this is this is something i will get on a plane and i would visit that this is the stuff that I love. Yeah. So, yeah. so here's another little one of um, where where uh, where Jay's um, ingenuity or resources came in handy. Working on Papa Shango's costume. So I do the design. My boss designs the cape. Um, I design the spandex. Jay, me and Jay are responsible for putting together the accessories, the the um, necklaces and the rain stick and you know, the skull and this and that. So Jay, Jay put together, he created, he took the skull and he created the skull and we, it came time to work on, to do his necklace. And I was like, Jay, I was like, you know, what are we going to do here? This, you know, this has to look authentic. This can't be cheesy looking and fake. And he was like, don't you worry about, you know, he's like, don't worry about a thing. He's like, uh, you know, I got that taken care of. And the next day he comes in with a sack full and pours it out of a sack full of bones, of real bones. And he, and I was like, I was like, you know, like, are you a serial killer? What the heck, what is going on here? And it turns out he um, collected roadkill and he would soak them in uh, bleach or hydrogen peroxide, bleach the bones and save the bones. And he had chicken bones, deer bones, fox bones, raccoon, like all these squirrel, everything. And it was incredible because, you know, that's a real chicken head on Papa Shango's uh, top hat. Um, Papa Shango's uh, necklace was made of all real authentic bones that Jay had. Um, and then I found out that he had a full deer skeleton and spinal cord hanging in his apartment, in his house. And yeah, it was just um, that. And that's the kind of guy he was. He was like, you know, he was a super interesting guy. And my God, did his, uh, you know, his um, his bizarre uh, collection come in handy uh, when we start when we did Papa Shango's costume. Yeah, I, I, I can see in your face how fondly you talk about them and stuff like that because you must have had so many of those kind of crazy moments but it's um it's interesting as well i'm gonna make the assumption here i presume jay was a massive wrestling fan <laughs> um you know what i don't know i think he came from the uh i think he was coming from the same place as me where um i know that his life took a turn for the worse as far as he got he got divorced and he was actually um out of work and he was laying asphalt for his father's um asphalt company and he answered the ad he couldn't you know physically the heat and the um physically he just couldn't take it anymore but he was a talented artist 
And he answered the same ad as me for in the New York Times. And um, and so I got the feeling and I can't answer 100 percent with certainty. Uh, but I don't think that he was very familiar with wrestling before we worked there either. But my God, he was the guy that came in early, stayed late, took advantage of the fact that he can learn Photoshop and use their resources and computer. And um, and he went on to become an art director at Doubleday Books after the WWF. So, yeah, it was um, I don't know if he was a big wrestling fan, but I know he embraced the job as much as you could possibly embrace it. Absolutely. I'm, I'm just imagining that day in the office where you're there and you're kind of struggling a bit with the necklace and he's just going, don't worry about it. I got this covered. You know what I mean? You're yeah. Like, what? <laughs> yep. What the hell? Like, you know, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. So, sounds like he was a top man, top guy to work with. Like, you know, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like this has been an absolute blast. I've really, really enjoyed this. Like the, the you know, just the nostalgia for me and talking to yourself and getting to meet yourself finally and stuff like that. And, and to know that like, you know, your artwork and your creations, like some of that stuff has sat on my shelf for years, you know what I mean? And I look so fondly on it still. Um, in terms of the current product, I mean, I know you're not potentially a wrestling fan and stuff like that, um, but, um, would you like to get involved again? Is is there a time to get involved again? I know the characters are kind of, I know they're kind of dampened down slightly and they're not as colourful and as crazy as they used to be. But there's still there's still a creative juice there to happen in terms of, I mean, merchandising is unbelievable these days in terms yeah. of, they're slapping guys on everything, you know, that can, that can put a price tag on it, you know? Yeah, there's, um abs- absolutely. I mean, <clears throat> I... I'm in this business to do art for a living. And with, with that said, um, you know, without a doubt, you know, I, you know, I just absolutely love doing the Marvel comics stuff and working in the comics, but with this whole resurgence of the WWE um, and realizing the history, I would absolutely welcome uh new opportunities if you know if they wanted to bring me on and do some new stuff uh so yes i i would absolutely you know whatever capacity i you know i you know if they were going to pay me my worth um and it was a symbiotic relationship let's go yeah sounds yep. great because it, it, it's weird i say it through the shop as well i get a lot of kids coming in at the moment you know 10 12 14 year old kids who kind of watch the product at the moment, but they come in and they talk to me about the Road Warriors and Adam Bomb and Kane and One Two Three Kid and Razor Ramon. They're going back and they're so heavily invested in the legends now, and it, wow. it's incredible to see it because it's the next generation is going right back to that time period that you should have had such a massive impact on. And it's, it's it's great to see that as well because you know it's easy for a kid to rock into my shop and talk about John Cena and that kind of thing. But I'd like, I like, I, two kids came into my store today and they were talking about, you know, they were talking about Kane. Uh, one of them bought a China figure, you know what I mean? So they're really going back and looking back through the history of the product around that time frame from the nineties on, you know, so it's, it's, a, it's amazing. You know, we, we only dropped a podcast there the other day as well. at memory one, because uh, Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff passed away. Sure. Yeah. And I, I sent a message to, uh, to Brian on it as well. Cause I know Brian traveled the road with him and stuff like that. So I'm sure, I'm sure Brian was upset at hearing of his passing as well. You know, 
Yeah. Yeah. This has been an absolute blast for me. I really appreciate you taking the time to come on. Um, let people know where do they find Tom Fleming and Tom Fleming Art and all that good stuff you're doing, posters, all that kind of stuff. Okay, well, my website is um, is probably the best place. I actually have, I started an actual WWE, WWF entertainment related art section. So it's TomFlemingArtwork.com. Very simple. And, that, and Fleming is with a, a single M, only one M. So that's the only way that you can... Uh, that you can misspell it, but it's TomFlemingArtwork.com. And um, that's, you know, one place. Then I have an eBay shop under Flem Art, Fleming Art, Flem Art. And I have an Etsy shop under Tom Fleming Art also. Um, and then, of course, the social media pages. Um, and I have to apologize to a lot of um, a lot of the fans that are sending me friend requests because you know, as we know, Facebook only allows 5,000 um, personal uh, connections, friends. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and I reserve about 20 for business reasons where, you know, if an art director or, you know, somebody or if even a family member that I haven't, you know, I need to leave 20 spaces. So I have, you know, almost 5,000 maxed out. But I do have the art of Tom Fleming, my business Facebook page and everyone and anyone, please join that and um you know i'll be uh you know i'll be sharing a lot of stuff on that page also um but um yeah uh instagram is the same thing tom uh uh tom fleming artwork on instagram yeah we'll 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 drop all those links into the description of this video so people know exactly where to go to check out all this amazing stuff that you're, you're producing and stuff all this historical stuff they can go back on yeah. And we'll also let, let's push, let's try and get a meal for this Hall of Fame and this hidden treasures and all this kind of legacy stuff. Let's get this stuff going because this is this is history here in front of people right now for our viewers. You know? Yeah, absolutely. And, um, and you know, uh, you know, I have to uh, I have to give a, a, a little plug from a man, Brian Clark, um, who, uh, you know, I just did. I did a new painting for him that's available and posters and T-shirts. And I'm sure he um, shared where you can get them and stuff. But um, that was a super fun project after all these years to paint Adam Bomb, um, you know, 30 years later and stuff with the uh, green nuclear cloud in the background. And, uh, you know, um, so, yeah, uh, you know, it's, a, it's an amazing story, isn't it? When you think about it, like from from going back to, say, 91 or whatever it is, and now we're in 2021, and the whole thing comes full circle. And I said to Brian on the episode the other night when we did it, his enthusiasm is infectious in terms of his creative juices. He was talking to me about how he'd be down in the morning time early, working out and benching and doing that stuff, and the next thing comes up with an idea. And it's, yeah. just, it's just, I said it to him on the podcast, I said, to see you now, so many years on and to have such enthusiasm for this still is unbelievable it's it's fantastic to see it where especially yep. in a business at a time where a lot of people move on and they can become quite bitter about the business and resentful for the business stuff like that this guy is just one idea after the other steamrolling it out there so excited to be back out there you know and, and healthy you yeah know? yeah it looks amazing it looks we said it on the podcast he looks like he's ready to climb through the ropes 
Yeah, I was going to say these guys, you know, they have such a hard life and it takes such a toll on them that um, it's quite sad most of the time. And, you know, when I saw Brian after all these years, I was like, my God, somebody made it through with their health, you know, like excellent. And I know he had his challenges with that, but, you know, but um, man, you know, really, uh, you know, you know, it's nice to see that. So absolutely. It's brilliant. Well, listen, I want to thank you for taking the time because this has been fantastic. I mean, I could literally talk to you all night about this individual <laughs> stuff. I just, I live, breathe, sleep, wrestling. It's my life. It's my livelihood. It's it's everything. I, I'm the guy who never climbed through the ropes but loved wrestling so much uh, that I had to go <laughs> and work in it, you know. This all has right. been your, uh, your four podmen with Tom Fleming looking back at some of this legacy stuff, creative artwork illustrations props memorabilia t-shirts where does it end sure you know what i mean it, it goes on and on and on uh, really appreciate you coming on obviously the show is dynamo podcast network on youtube audio versions of the show on spotify uh, apple itunes podbean wherever you pick them up if you want to hit us up drop your comments at the bottom here if you have any questions for tom of course he'll get a copy of he'll be seeing the episode of course um, let them know your thoughts, give them some positive feedback there on all this good stuff and all and the impact that he had on the business. I'm, I'm just blown away. Team Angle came. The way he just <laughs> rattled them off, you know what I mean? It's fantastic. Um, if you want to contact the show on Twitter, at TPodman, on Facebook, the 4 Podmen. Tom, absolute pleasure. Well, thank you so much. I had a blast. And um, if you want to do a part two, I am open to that too. Absolutely. There's no doubt this is going to happen.